0: All right. Welcome to the grief dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram uh, alongside Joshua Black. We're not together in physical form. We're doing this from a distance, but you know, in spirit, we're always together, right, Josh?
1: That's right. You know, like it's, it's one of those things that because your, your sound so clear, it feels like you're right here. And we just had (laughs) a, you know, and we just talked to, to Mark. Um, if you guys will remember from the last podcast, and so we're going to be talking to uh, his partner and super excited for this interview, talk about everything from dreams to orcas again.
0: I'm excited. Sean, are you excited? You know it. You know it. I'm ready to go. Um, so today we get an opportunity to speak with Rain Benu, and she is a sim- cinematographer of the award-winning documentary, The 100-Year-Old Whale, and producer of Scana, which is a podcast about orcas oceans and the environment Um, a nationally published festival and theater photographer rain has a rich history creating digital and multimedia artwork corporate design interactive media and storytelling using metaphor myths and symbolic languages abstract meditative painting and filmmaking which is directing editing sound and video so she now lives in Vancouver Island, in the place where art, tech, and spirit meet, and where she spends her free time filming local celebrities from JPOD with her partner, Mark. Um, she also edits videos to support her kitten overlords, Freya and Saga, who hitched a ride from Norway and have decided Vancouver Island is warmer. Rain, welcome. I got to start with that. You got to tell us about your beautiful overlords.
2: <laughs> wow mark and i travel a lot for work and so um as much as i loved having animal companions we hadn't we didn't really think we could have some and then uh, his play was being produced in prague and we had the opportunity to go to europe and spend some time there while we were there we went to visit uh, his cousins in norway and they had just had a passel of norwegian kittens born and cats I, I think this is true of most animal companions. They, they really pick you as opposed to the other way around. <laughs>
3: um,
2: so what happened was the, um, one of the older cats, Saga, she was basically their barn cat. She was pretty wild out and about, and she came to the house occasionally. And as soon as she saw me, she just decided I was her person. She moved into our room, slept with us, and was just like, no, you. Where have you been all of my life? What took you so long? And she was pregnant, and it was really quite sad. She actually lost uh, the babies while we were there. The kitten, Freya, who was about eight weeks old at the time, was still, she was just, um, when we met her, she was about six weeks, and she was still nursing. And she was like, hey, free milk. And so she latched on to Saga as her, like, kind of surrogate mom and moved in with us. And so about a week before we realized that they had become our cats, they had decided that they were coming with us. So completely unplanned, but it was such a blessing. And I'm really so grateful to have them in my life. They're amazing. So we flew them back from Norway, which is much easier to do than you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, because Canada just has laws around rabies. So as long as they have their shots and they were up to date, it really wasn't a problem to bring them.
0: Mm. Wow. And did you have pets before? Before uh, these two, Freya and Saga?
2: Yeah, at different times in my life. Um, I've had cats, dogs, rabbits, fish, like all different kinds of, of uh, pets.
3: Okay. I've,
2: I really love animals. Um, but prior to um, these guys, uh, my last cat had died of cancer. And so it took me a long time to sort of grieve and, and really recover from that process of, um, of losing her because it was very unexpected. And uh, so I had to go through a grieving process before I could even think about having cats. And then because we were on the road so much, it really wasn't a plan. It was really just quite a lovely surprise.
0: So you had, you, you, you felt that early on in life where you've, you've had uh, pets before. I mean, pets is a funny term, but, <laughs> cause they're overlords. So almost where the way they pets, but you've had, you know, beautiful creatures in your life before and i always i think there's a big difference between because i myself you know i got my dog 3 years ago that was the first pet i ever had uh, other than fish but i mean that's a little hard to set up a relationship with fish but i think with dogs and and anything <laughs> anything beyond a fish it's different right it's a different when you don't have a pet and then when you do because you're living with a sentient creature and it's it's beyond what the term pet even means so that's Obviously, that's, that leads into the, what, what you know, your work with orcas and, and whales, because you've already developed, you've had this respect, and, and I guess, awareness of animals and what they're capable of, because they're capable of be something beyond what we think they are, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I always describe myself as empathic. I've always been, I've just felt what other people were feeling. And it took me uh, going to school for counseling and spending time really, uh, Listening to myself and understanding that what I felt wasn't necessarily my own feelings for me to really understand, like, what was mine and what was other people's. And so I've always had this connection with animals without really necessarily always understanding what the connection was, which is that I have a sense of them and kind of what they're feeling. And um, because of the work I've done, yeah, I, I really do feel uh, there's so much to be said about
0: yeah.
2: animals that- as people.
0: Is that where a lot of your inspiration comes from for the work that you do? Because, you know, getting in, let's get into it right now. And and you're a cinematographer, you know, you've worked in, you know, video, you've done a ton of stuff. And inspiration is, is a big part of, you know, creating content. So, you know, walk me through that. Like, you know, working in, in documentaries and cinematography and, and, and has that just... Pushed you further? is that your in tuneness with animals into what you want to create on the screen?
2: Absolutely. And in fact, the photography came, and the cinematography all evolved naturally for me, and was not an intentional life choice. It's something that happened, I wouldn't say by accident, but at a time when I was going through a lot of personal struggle and I was uh, dealing with a, a really serious illness. I didn't have great memory, and so I started photographing things, and I've always painted and I've always been very intuitive and tuned into things, and so what happened was I would take photographs of all kinds of animals when I was out and about, spiders as well, or insects. Uh, we spent a lot of time in Maui, and so we would go whale watching out um, out there and see the humpback whales, cats, though, and, and uh, people's pets and people. I really felt drawn to something in them there's always a sort of magical moment it almost never happens when people are looking at the camera it's almost part of why I like documentary there's some energy people give off and something when people are truly themselves in a moment there's just something about capturing that experience and so I was doing all of this and I was capturing all of these um in part because I would be captured up in these beautiful moments and also because I was traveling with Mark quite a bit, we were going to a lot of events, and I wanted to capture and um, have a record of the experiences we were having. And that naturally evolved into me working as a film, uh, film festival photographer covering the red carpet, which I have joked is sometimes a lot like photographing wildlife. Um, <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of parties uh, and shooting and shooting celebrities and kind of finding people at parties, but also red carpets it's a bit like seeing, uh, seeing and i don't mean this in it as an insult in any way but like you have to imagine like, the celebrity's space is caged on a carpet and then there's all these photographers yelling things at them in these flashbulbs it's like a, it's, it's a, very much a really it's
0: an apt apt metaphor it's it's great Thank we're you. fascinated by by the Hollywood celebrity world, like, come on, you can't, like, it's so clear, like, you know, a male superstar walking down the red carpet, you know, walking down, that's behavioral, you know, one on one. That's awesome. Sorry, go ahead.
2: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, what's really interesting is that um, there's also aspects of that, which is celebrities do this, because it's part of promoting the job, but that doesn't necessarily mean they like it. And sometimes you literally have 30 seconds to get that Mm -hmm. perfect photo of them looking at the camera. And so there's all this psychology around getting them to look at you being fast, knowing how to catch a moment. And all of those things are really what helped me shoot the footage for the 100-year-old whale and really led me to being a cinematographer because I had never shot whales before. I'd never filmed them. We went out on a boat. It was a very last-minute thing that happened. And it was a perfect moment. and. I I was very, very fortunate to be there. I really think the orcas showed up for us as opposed to us showing up for them, you know? But the thing is that in that moment, there's so many things that were so similar. It was kind of like all of my previous experiences came together, both in the connection with animals and the empathy and the like wanting to capture the beauty of the moment, but also that experience with celebrity and having to get these photos and the high pressure of that, that work, because with orcas, you can't predict where they're going to be. You don't have any sense of, you can have a general sense of where they're moving, but to get those photos is really an art form. And you take a lot of photos that don't turn out. Um, and when you're filming, you know, it's, um, it's a really intensive, integrated experience because you're standing in a boat that's moving, especially if you're in a small boat, you have to hold the camera steady. You can't really use a tripod because if you put it on the boat, it just the whole thing moves. So you have to steady it against your body and also be totally aware of what's happening all around you knowing that the orcas could appear at any point and being able to like kind of connect in, get the shot you need. You really have to have to be open to grace. And in that case, like the intuition is really been helpful for me. And just being there and being aware um, has been a huge gift actually.
0: Yeah. I love it. I, the way you're describing it, it's like you're in Indiana Jones, you're seeking that treasure and the treasure, (laughs) the treasure is that magic, right? that magic that, because, and I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm there with you on that boat and I'm, I'm what I'm observing you film whales and it's all magic because everything they do is beautiful, but to then take it and put it into, you know, the shot when you're editing and watching it. And then you, I imagine your goal is to take that magic that you've already experienced and try to give it to that person watching that person who's taking in that material. And obviously, I'm just fascinated with that because you've got it. It's all that magic you've already got. And now to put it on film and then to transfer it. And there like, there must be a real satisfaction in that beauty of being able to like have people witness what you've already witnessed and you've seen that magic. You're just sharing it.
2: Yes, actually. I mean, in the moment of filming, I have to be fully present because it's too easy to get in your head or be thinking about the shot. I have to simply be there and open and capture what's happening in the moment. But in the after part, you know, it's really amazing. There's like the editing process, which can take a really long time, even with a short film. It took a couple of years to finish the film before it went to festivals. Uh, And I didn't do the editing, which I was really grateful for, although I do editing in other work because it can be difficult to edit your own work mm. um, because you see all the flaws <laughs> other people don't see those right but you it's see true. that moment when the camera unfocused a little bit or the jiggle or all the things and it took me a while to actually look at other people's footage and realize that almost everyone has some movement in their work orcaphoto- in, in any sort of ocean photography because it's almost impossible to get a straight shot you know uh, drone photography is changing that now because when you fly something it can and it can be steady and there are you know some things you can do but when you sit with an audience like when i sat with an audience for the first time i actually sat at the front i didn't want to see anyone's faces but i could feel everybody behind me and you could feel the reactions to the movie and to the footage and to the whole experience and that was amazing and for me that was the moment i became a filmmaker up to that point it wasn't really real it was a project and I was really excited about it. And I, I thought we had done great work and I was really proud of um, what we were sharing and Granny's story. Um, but I also, when you sit with a group of other people and see your own work being protected on a big screen, I mean, that is a dream in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You're all sharing the same dream and it's a dream you've created. So in that respect, it's really amazing. And it's it just, it's such a privilege to have that experience
0: now. I'm going to give Josh some space to ask some questions. <laughs> but before I, before I do that, one last thing. Yes. I wanted to ask about when you are sharing those moments, does it mean more when you're sharing something as powerful as grief?
2: Yes. And in fact, at the moment, a lot of what we're doing with the Orcas on the West Coast is about grief. Following Talika's story was heartbreaking for me. In fact, even though I have publicly talked about my grief uh, on several occasions at events, um, the first time was uh, for Granny, because after, right after we wrapped the film, Granny was declared missing and then dead, and they never found her body, but they believed she died of starvation, not old age, and that was heartbreaking for me, because here was an orca that I had documented and spent time with and truly loved, and all, I knew all about her story and her history and her family and her culture. And I had had these amazing moments of connection with her and she was just gone. And it was something that happened on my watch and that we were responsible for all of us. I mean, like people because of the conditions of the water and the stuff like, so that, that was a really difficult experience. It's definitely very powerful for people when you talk about grief, certainly with Tahlequah as well. I had this, I had a dream about Tahlequah while she was having her, while she was on her vigil. And I was watching and absorbing and soaking in all of, all of what was going on, like the cultural commentary and the news and her journey and the, the information we were getting from, you know, uh, Noah and from the um, Center for Whale Research, what was going on. And uh, speaking about that, there's a couple of things that happen when you start to share that information. By sharing your own group, you, people are able to experience catharsis. They're able to experience that grief with you and then they're able to, it helps for other people to know that they're you, you know, they not alone in their grief. And In fact, I've talked about that. I think grief is a really important emotion. There's a lot of schools of thought that say don't talk about bad things or don't think about bad things because if you do, you're creating them. And I think that's total bunk because if you have sadness or anger and these feelings are happening in you and you ignore them, you're really just suppressing something that's already there it's so much more healthy and natural to really look at those feelings and feel them and process them and then learn from them. And if you have to use those to fuel whatever actions you're going to take to try and come to a resolution on whatever it is that's causing you pain. Um, Certainly. (sighs) Talico has been an incredibly, and what's going on with the Southern Reds right now has been incredibly painful for me. And for me, part of that is because like, as you said at the beginning, other animals besides human animals are also sentient, intelligent people. And the more we learn about orcas in particular, the more we understand that they're probably more intelligent than us. And the experience of when you're out there in the wild with them, they, there's a magic. There's something that they exude. Like there's just a, a presence that they have. They're really in tune with their entire environment, but also with each other. And. you connect with that and you have these experiences and you understand that like you are communicating with and having a conversation with essentially another being that's not a human that's just as intelligent as you are and then you watch one of those beings go out to a media and hold up their their dead baby and say hey everybody look at what you're doing look at my grief see this it's hard not to hope that people it will pay attention and see it and not just feel sad about it, but also acknowledge that something important is happening and maybe take action. And um, ultimately grief in itself and the catharsis is important, but I think also the action you take after and the seeds that are planted from it are very important.
1: Wow. That's uh, well said. And I love how you're, you're basically saying we can learn a lot. From sort of Telequa's you know mourning process on how we should mourn, you know like there's something beautiful about what she was doing that you know a lot of us forget, like it's we need to be able to show our emotions and show you know and, and be able to be vulnerable in front of others, and that's the whole what the whole process was for her, and then there's that other side you said where you know she was probably trying to show us too about what we are doing to the population, it was like oh, almost trying to share some wisdom to to the humans so yeah, I think it's it's phenomenal on the the what occurred because of it. Because I didn't know much about it, and honestly, I didn't know much about whales. I didn't know much about you know their their grief until it happened. And I'm like, oh wow, like this is new, and I'm really intrigued by it all because it was hitting my heartstrings. And for the most part, you know, like there's so much stuff going on in the world. You know, those heartstrings aren't always pulled, but it was being pulled by. you know uh, an animal and you're like oh my god like what what does this mean for how i view this animal how i view other animals in the future um and it just it blew my mind and i'm so excited to be able to talk about it and and share these these thoughts about you know Mm -hmm. having these having these new realizations forgiving yourself for the past behaviors you've like i've done you know i never took animals that seriously for the most part and especially the beginning of my life i lived by Marine land and uh, used to always go there, you know, with, you know, like that's sort of just, just like a, a common thing, but now I'm like, Oh my God, I feel so bad. Like I supported that movement, you know, and it's like learn to forgive yourself for some of the things you were a part of unknowingly, right. Just because of your ignorance. And so it's nice how, you know, what news is doing, what you are doing is showcasing, you know, the, you can even say human qualities or just like the, the qualities that connect us both to appreciate who they are
2: more. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a scientific idea of anthropomorphism. However, Mark and I have really taken exception to this of late. We're not the only ones that have concerns about this. And we've been talking a little bit more about anthropo-denial, this idea that we, we have set up these kind of mental blocks or barriers to seeing other animals as having human-like characteristics because we have this scientific ideal of humans being at the top of the food chain. But the problem is that even in our intelligence testing, every time any species passes and and kind of uh, passes these tests, we say, oh, well, clearly the parameters were wrong. Um, There's multiple cases of this. And so what happens is we just keep reaffirming in our science that we're at the top of the food chain, but not and, and so that allows us to kind of distance ourselves and, and separate ourselves from all these other creatures around us. And honestly, most animals have superpowers. I, I mean, they all do amazing things and they all experience the world a little differently. You know, cats, for example, are totally scent-based. Uh, they do everything based on sense of smell. It's really strong for them. But also what's amazing about them is that they are natural mimics. Most of the sounds that they make, other than purring, aren't actually natural to them. Meowing, for example, um, is a sound that they have designed to speak to humans because it sounds like a baby's cry. There's there's other sounds like hissing is, is to mimic a snake. And it's really fascinating when you read about the science on this. They basically learned how to communicate with us and created a frequency that we will react to and understand. And they've even done studies of cat owners where they found that Every cat and their owner have a unique kind of language of communication, that they are able to understand each other, that the cat has developed with their human. So when we talk about, um, and those are domestic house cats, which we've had around forever, and yet it's very easy for us to kind of depersonalize them and mm. say, well, they're animals yeah. and we're humans, right? Right.
0: You know, and, and that's a great point. And I just want to bring up a point that I've seen in in the way, like I have a dog, like, again, <laughs> my dog Rumble. Um, but when I walk around the street and sometimes there'll be another person with another dog. And sometimes, you know, maybe a lot of times it's a smaller dog. And a lot of times um, the smaller dog will be barking, uh, barking at my dog. And the owner will actually a lot of times make a comment like, oh, well, you know, Tuffy doesn't really get along with other dogs or something like that. And a mm-hmm. lot of times, I think that's the owner putting their own thoughts and opinions on right. the dog's behavior, trying to make sense of the dog's behavior when, in fact, that dog might be doing something different. That dog is actually probably most likely with the small dog, just trying to protect their owner. They've got a little c- circumference around them, you know, a little circle. And and anything that comes in that general vicinity usually small dogs bark, and and I, I guarantee you, if my dog was to be off leash with that dog, and if they were able to mingle together, they'd work it out, or they'd eventually be okay. But sometimes as humans, we put these type of ideas on our pets because we we just we're again I'm not blaming people. I'm not I'm not blaming everybody. I'm just saying we're trying to make sense of human dog behavior, animal behavior. But often that's 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 the mistake we make is that we come to these type of generalizations about animal behavior and we go with that and that can be dangerous because again we're making these simplifications of these sometimes complicated type of actions. Like am I, does that that make sense, rain?
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, with the example you're talking about with the dog and the owner, there's also the aspect not just of the dog being protective, but the owner, if they're uncomfortable with people, they're giving off subtle signals that their dog is picking up on, which will make them feel more protective. Yes. So there's yes. actually a feedback loop that's happening in that technology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so too. I mean, I've noticed and i I try to be really aware of this with our with our cats. Um, like we have our younger cat, Freya. Um, because we've had her pretty much since she was born. She travels with us. I have her leash trained. We take her to parties. She loves people. She likes parties and it freaks people out because that is not typical, what they consider typical cat behavior. The idea of a cat on a leash. Like she'll sit, we'll, we'll go out and we just sometimes we'll just take her out, you know, when we're running errands and we'll go sit outside at Starbucks and she'll sit at the table with us. And she likes it because she likes spending time with us. It's interesting to her. She knows she's safe with us. Um you know, the the incentives and motivations I have to use to train are different than I would use if I was training a dog, but it's totally doable. But having said that, I think sometimes we get stuck in our perceptions or prejudices of what an animal is too, from like the, what we've been told or taught. And then because we raise animals a particular way, we also socialize them in that way. And then they will take that behavior again it's a feedback loop our behavior affects their behavior and their behavior affects our behavior and we sort of reinforce these behaviors or patterns i mean i just wanted to say in terms of the grief piece and animals one of the things mark probably talked about this but just this idea that the newspapers when they're writing about tala would use the word grieving or grief in quotes like they weren't sure and that really boggles me because how can you even know if a person is grieving or what they're feeling inside Besides what they're telling you, and yet we have these like like it was very clear what was going on i mean a number of experts who were studying the situation talked about her grieving it wasn't it it wasn't it wasn't a mystery and yet they still were afraid to say that she was grieving and to give her that human well you know that that human emotion
1: yeah we we touched on that a little bit, and yeah it's it's interesting what we do to avoid other suffering i i think even like we do that when even someone else is suffering in front of us. We'll find ways to avoid sitting with that pain. And so we do it with animals too. I'm really, you know, I'm really interested in the bond you developed with Granny. So for those who haven't listened to the prior podcast where we talk about Granny and, and who she was, um, Granny was the basically the one you filmed, right, for the award-winning documentary, The, uh, the 100-Year-Old yeah. Will. Yeah. And so you developed this bond And could you just speak to that bond and like, what was it like? I'm guessing you looked into her eyes at some point uh, because some of the shots are really close and also what your, that grief was. And if you can talk about, you know, how you went through that.
2: Yeah. So I had um, my, my kind of opening experience with granny. I had, I had seen her before, but then we went out for two months. Uh, at, at least every weekend and sometimes you know a couple times a week um to film and in that really intensive period um every time i went out she showed up and uh except for one time and not only that but uh she they the orcas would do amazing things and in fact it became a bit of a joke they would say "Why are you coming out again when are you coming or, you know, at one point, there was a joke that next time I went out, they would juggle salmon just because they were the first time I went out and got to encounter her was the um, the shot that we have that we use as the poster for the movie, which is Granny Breaching at Sunset. It was an out of the blue call. We've been told she hadn't really been sighted very much that summer. And then two hours later, we had a call saying, how soon can you get here? And I was actually at another event filming, so I had to grab batteries. I had to borrow batteries from my camera to go out. And I didn't even have a film camera. At that point, I was shooting with my Canon 60D, which is my film festival camera. But I was just supposed to be shooting backup uh, B-roll footage, just how it started. Just some extra shot. But we went out, and it was sunset, and it was perfect. And uh, we went out on a small boat. It was just four of us, myself, Mark, um, the owner of the WellWatch company, and a photographer, Clint Rivers, who's taken some astonishing photographs of the orcas out here on the west coast. And he's been shooting orcas for well, a long time, like more than ten years. And um we were out there and I mean the best way to describe it is we went out and it's magic hour. So this is like that hour right before sunset when everything is that beautiful twilight colors and the the pinks in the sky and it's all there reflected in the water and you've got the islands and the mountains in the background. It's stunning. And Branny was there with her uh, boyfriend Onyx, the young male that traveled with her. And the best, I, what essentially what happened was, as the other tour boat said, everything was fine. And then the photographer showed up, and it was amazing. And um, she started doing um, all of these things above the water, which is very atypical you know, you'll have a few moments, but she really, she was doing tail slaps. She, which is, you know, when she a tail in the water, she did a spy hop, which is when they stick their eye up above the water and look at you. And then she breached for us twice. And at sunset it was perfect. But also there's a thing about orcas that's a little different when you're around them. They have this like I said, it's like they're kind of in tune with everything. If you're in a group of people, you really get a sense about all the individual personalities and people. But when you're with a group of orcas, theres it's different, it's very peaceful, it's very meditative. In fact, people I've talked to who have studied and worked with the orcas for a long time seem to speak a little slower. They're a little more calm. I really think the orcas kind of rub off on people. So connecting with granny, There was really like for me a real emotional connection and a real relationship with her in terms of watching her play and the experiences I had in my encounters with her and the fact that she showed up for me on a number of times. I mean, the next time I went out, fifty over fifty orcas in a super pod surrounded our boat and like this is right after the baby boom. So there's babies jumping out of the water and orcas breaching and they did what's called a greeting ceremony. And this is where two pods are meeting and it's kind of like watching two rival clans. They sort of do this like posturing dance and then they line up in a row with their fins and they face the boat and then they swim towards it and then they all mingle and um, they did this several times um, around us and we're so close. It was such an astonishing experience at the time. I was just simply blown away and the amazement of the people on the boat with me and people who've been doing this for years who have never seen a superpod before and everyone just like being blown away by the experience it was really intense and incredible and then also of course like this wash of experience of all of these orcas and this presence and you're surrounded and there's so much and it's so amazing and you've never experienced anything like it and realizing that you're probably never going to experience anything quite like that again. Like it's like a a pinnacle moment in your life. And then, and this was just a regular tour boat. This wasn't like a special boat or anything. So there was a group of people on the boat. Um, the tour guides asked us not to, if we were reviewing the um, the day, not to say exactly what had happened because it was a once in a lifetime thing, and they didn't want people to expect that when they showed up. Um, but I also got off the boat and walked up to the car where Mark was picking me up and burst into tears and just started to cry because I was so in awe and so overwhelmed by how amazing they were and there's just something that's almost hard to put into words about spending time with them, especially if you get to spend time with them a lot, that is again it has to do with their presence, right and so with Granny, the connection I felt with her because then I was also looking at her footage and talking about her story and you know it it was really i really i really loved her and i really loved her story and everything that she the fact that she was the matriarch and basically queen of the orcas in in that ocean that she was like possibly the oldest living orca that she was as far as we know her story is truly amazing to me on all these different levels and so to be honest when she was missing for a while i just pictured her playing poker with the ogopogo and the Loch Ness monster somewhere like i just was like no you know what i'm just i can't really go there it took me a while to kind of go into the process of breathe and when i mean i was genuinely heartbroken so i didn't even want to go out on the water for a while i actually just took a break because it hurt too much and then uh as life does it it came around to the point where we had to talk about the movie And uh, the first the premiere of the film, I went by myself to Toronto. Mark was doing a book tour in the States. And of course, because of the way the movie was filmed, we finished the film. We had approval and everything was locked. And that's when she passed away. So we couldn't change the movie. We decided rather than doing that, it was best to just make it a tribute to her life and not her death. And there were so many things we would have had to have talked about, about why she died. We didn't want it to be that. We wanted it to be a celebration. So That's why at the end of the film, we just have the little statement about how she lived and when she died. And um, because of this, when people saw the film, that first showing, they wanted to know how she died. They were really, they had gotten so swept up in the story that we had told, and then they were so sad. What had happened? And in that moment, when I was standing on stage, I was able to say, well, you know, it's really sad. It's actually been quite difficult for me, but... The honest truth is that she probably starved to death. And there was an audible gasp, like just kind of a, but then I and the producer, Tony, were able to talk about the issues that the Southern residents were facing. And in that moment, and certainly afterwards, and as I continued with the journey of the film and talking about it, that became something that I was able to, not just process, but also other people felt that grief as well and we've been doing a lot of work um around trying to stop the kinder morgan pipeline uh because the there's all kinds of issues um and around the pipeline being put in and how it will affect the orcas and essentially they even if nothing goes wrong and there's no uh, oil spill they actually can't survive the effects of the increased tanker traffic in the in the in the waters Uh, and it would be extinction for them and so we've been fighting very hard as a result of falling in love with this family and so the grief and also the love and the way in which she died has led me personally on a whole journey um into um fighting for their environment and it's also led me to having to learn about a bunch of things i never thought i'd be interested in like salmon i really i mean salmon was tasty and i liked it with with dinner Um, And I knew it was important, but I didn't really understand um, anything about the biodiversity of the oceans and how critical salmon were to the habitat until my awareness was shifted because of Granny's death. And even before Granny's death, I I was getting a lot of this information, but that really made it truly real and also critical that we do something about it. Because to me, the idea that Granny... Lived to be possibly 105, and that her death, that's amazing to us, all of us, when we realized that she could live that long, but that her death was preventable and that she maybe could have lived to be 200. We genuinely don't know. Like, I'm not saying that she would have, but there's certainly just no way to know how, how old she could live, and that the orcas in our oceans are just really struggling. That to me was the catalyst to do something and to fight. And so it brought together a lot of things for me. So I've had the fortune in dealing with the grief and processing it and in dealing with the the deaths of the orcas, I guess the fortune and misfortune that there's a wonderful community of people who also care about these orcas who are also feeling what's happening quite deeply. And as a result, I feel deeply supported in that process that I'm going through and that I go through every time I hear about a new orca death. And I think there's a collective grief that's happening as well. Um, for a lot of us who have been studying these orcas for a long time. For Mark and I, it's only been a few years. And in that time, they've taken over our lives. Um, and they're truly amazing. But uh, for people who, like Ken Balcom, who's been studying them for for many, many years, I, I truly feel for him and what he's going through, too. you know, And that helps me in a way, because knowing that other people are experiencing it, um, the empathy and that connection with other people, and then i'm not alone that's a huge thing and i think i'm very fortunate because a lot of times like when pet, pets or animal companions die we don't necessarily always understand for people who are grieving that how painful that can be or or, or appreciate it in the same way we would if it was the death of a, a person
1: yeah it's definitely disenfranchised for sure and what you're going through would definitely be disenfranchised for a lot of people who just don't understand But like listening to how you're talking about Granny and for you to say that you loved her, you know, like, that's so beautiful. And rather than seeing it as you were videotaping or taking pictures of her, it was actually, you know, you're developing a friendship, you know, with this orca. And how beautiful that is, because it's not every day you meet someone a friend, like, who's friends with an orca, you know, like, <laughs> I know this guy, Sean, he's friends with a dog, but like, <laughs> an orca, that's like a different, <laughs> it's a different piece. <laughs> and so like, for me to hear that, it's just, it mean, it really showcases your character on how how you can become oh. friends with, with an animal in the wild, right? Like, it's not giving you anything, right? Like, you guys are buddies, like, out there. And then that you, it goes home, you go home after. It's not like, you know, like a pet where it's, it's there to really, you know, really it's, it's you guys are like in this sort of home together and you guys come for each other. This is completely different. This is more of a friendship. And I think it's, it's wild to, to hear about, but it's so beautiful because I wish, you know, like hopefully in some time in my life, I'll get an experience like that to be friends with a wild animal um, because that's probably the, the purest bond you're not there's no need for like there's nothing that you need from each other other than just being there with each other
2: agreed and i certainly wasn't expecting to connect to her in that way i mean compared to other people who spent years or like hundreds of hours with her i i did not i don't feel like i had nearly enough time i wish i'd had more time with her there definitely there definitely was a friendship and a respect i mean uh, there's a theory that I've heard from a number of people who work with them that orcas rec- recognize helpers, um, people who they know can help their survival and that they will show up for them. There's also a ton of stories about orcas showing up and rescuing people and helping them in situations that they shouldn't have been able to know about, but they just have been been there. I think they're ultrasound is really amazing, right? They have this incredible brain that actually converts sound into images in their brain. They have this shared sense. So as they send out these sound waves, their brain's converted into an image and they're all contributing to that image. I think we don't really understand how this kind of group intelligence works, but it gives them an ability to reach out and understand things and connect with us on levels that we don't really necessarily recognize because humans tend to be very language focused and, you know, uh, our ability to communicate through these ideas and spoken word is very important to us. I think they're communicating on a much deeper level. And that probably what allowed me to have that experience with her was that I was quiet and open. I didn't have any expectation ever of her showing up, but also I was able to sit and be and just experience what she was sharing with me. And I didn't, And kind of reflect that back in a way with how I was feeling. And I think that they, on some level, are much, they have some communication abilities that we just don't understand and the way that they relate to people. I mean, I could get into the woo-woo of it, which, you know, some people believe in. Um, But just, you know, because of the work I've done with energy and intuition, I really, yeah, it it was truly an amazing experience. And it was a real honor. To get to spend the time I did with her.
1: Yeah, um, you you really look at it, and it's almost like you are almost christened into the pod in a way. You know, where most people will never ever have that opportunity. Like so you're one of the rare human beings that they welcomed in in a way.
2: Yeah, that's true. And again, like I like that the way you're describing it is was that they let me in. They made that choice. Mm-hmm. That, that was part of why when Talika was having her vigil, I wasn't able to go out at the time. Um, we were also trying to be respectful of their space because she was going through a breathing process. We also had uh, wildfires here. And I was unable to leave the house for quite a while because the smoke was so bad uh, without wearing a breathing mask. But I also wanted to connect with them, and so I did a little bit of a like a vision quest uh, and some meditation. I did like 24 hours of like deep process um, to help me paint what Talika was saying and kind of connect with her and, and what she was going through. And that uh, is a really uh, profound experience for me.
1: Did you say you painted?
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, so could you tell us about that and like what came through?
2: Sure. So I, because I've studied meditation since I was 13, and I uh, have taught meditation on and off over the years and Reiki and, and uh, intuitive development. I have my own process that I, I go through um, whenever I paint. Um, that's kind of a meditative process. And I do something that's a little bit, I mean, I guess the technical term is um, psychic surrealism. But what I'm doing is essentially going into a meditative state. I use uh, particular music or media that I'm listening to to kind of trigger whatever the emotional state is. And I use it almost as a mantra. Um, I either use a playlist or I'll play the same song and repeat, so it's kind of like once I go into the meditative state, it's really kind of my background state. And with Tahlequah, I really wanted to connect to what was it, I just wanted to understand her and connect with her and her process and what she's going through and understand what I could do and how I could help um, and because of the work we do a lot of times for me that's how what information is it that I can share what is it I need to know in this moment and so I went into my meditation and the way that my painting process works is I will go into my state whatever it is I'm working through or trying to understand with music I'm connecting with and I let my hand move and I've done this for years, and so at this point, I actually like the images are quite—they're surreal, but they're they're definite images that I paint and create. And so in this case, the image that came through in this painting, as I was working through it and I was meditating, um, came through in a series of like it was—it didn't happen all at once. It's kind of a process, but also, I had a really profound series of epiphanies around Tahlequah, um, and the fact that what was going on with her was not just like an animal hold it like her she was clearly speaking to us and in fact what i realized in when i was having this experience was that if you substitute the word orca for alien or haida or up like a, a another tribal or you know name of a of a group of people um the experience she went through if you read the stories again and use a different word Um, One that we would recognize as being, you know, intelligent being. It's a very interesting, like it really changes your perspective on the situation. And it really broke my heart open, realizing that she was out there doing this. And at the same time, there was no comment from our press. Our leaders ignored it like none of I mean, the governor spoke uh, in Washington, but essentially on the Canadian side of the border, no one said anything. and in fact, Justin Trudeau was on the island while she was going through this and did not go out to see her. And I was astonished and heartbroken by that. So there was like this whole ball of grief, but also this like if aliens landed and did this, everybody would be there and there would be six plane cameras on it and it would be a huge world news piece.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: and it really that in itself made me just kind of I had a I let myself go through the process of getting angry at humans. Right. And just like ranting about it to myself and going through that because I knew that if I didn't, I was just going to suppress it and it was going to make me better. And one thing I try very hard to do is continue to hold my optimism in humans and our spirit and our creativity. And I mean, what we can do, because we have the ability right now to solve a lot of the problems we're facing right now, but we need the political will and leadership to do it. And so it seems like
0: I was just going to say, it just seems like there's an ancient knowledge there. There's an ancient knowledge that you know you're you're trying to tap into through painting right, you know through just being there um for the debts, and that knowledge is what we're all kind of seeking. We're all kind of looking for that. Could you talk about the actual paintings, like what they are?
2: yeah, yeah. so the painting that I did of Taqua um it's really amazing, normally. Um, When I go through this process, I give myself as much time as I need to complete it. So I'll feel the energy of the painting. I'll start it. I'll create the rough draft, kind of the doodle or the sketch of it, as you will. And then I will fill it out over time. Sometimes it happens very quickly. Sometimes it takes a long time. But with Tahlequah, there was an art show that I wanted to submit the painting to, and it was a month and a half after. I thought, well, that'll be okay. It'll be no problem. But it was interesting because in that process, I was still in deep and grief. And so when I looked at the painting, I didn't. I had a hard time seeing it. I actually had a hard time seeing what it was. I'll send you guys a photo of the painting. Um, Thank you. But essentially, the painting is, as it emerged, a painting of Tahlequah under the water and the baby being thrown up in the air towards the person. So you're looking down and it's like Tahlequah with her eye and then the baby is kind of coming up through the water. And it was such a clear image to me of what I wanted to paint, and I had such a hard time seeing what I, like, I actually had a hard time because of the grief I was going through and totally processing that, and then it was funny because Mark came in and was like, oh, wow, you've painted the baby into the painting, and I was like, what? And I looked at it again and was like, oh, of course, you can see it because you're one step away from it, and I couldn't, but the painting was really amazing. It was a lot of love and care and energy that went into it. In part because I saw such a clear image and because I felt like I'd been gifted with something, and so I wanted to honor that and so where normally i don't worry about it, I create the image that I see in this case, I had emotional connection and attachment in a different way, and wanted to do to honor it if that makes sense. I wanted to make sure that I was truly conveying what it was that I had experienced, and so I put extra pressure on myself, which never works well when you're doing intuitive art because those two things really perfectionism and, and creativity do not merge well together. And that was interesting because also there was a period where nobody, normally when people come to the house to see paintings, they will comment on them or like they're visiting and they will talk about it. No one would talk about the teleco painting. And I was like, what's wrong with it? And I realized that in some ways I was having the experience of holding up the baby and nobody was speaking to me. And it was actually experiencing on a very small level some of what she had been going through. And so there was also like all these different levels to it. It was an amazing teacher. And I love the painting now that it's finished. And I did things with it I have not done in other paintings. And so I have a lot of love for it. I almost never like to talk about what's in a painting because I like people to see the paintings for themselves and then take in the experience. But she was very present for me with this one. And uh, I'm actually sitting here looking at the painting right now as I'm talking to you guys it 's really quite uh, an interesting painting it 's all blue and swirls of water, and then, in the center is the white and the black and the baby coming up through the center and you 've got Telequa underneath it and her eye it 's still done in a bit of a surreal abstract style, but um, it 's a really it 's a really amazing painting and i I look at it and I kind of see it 's interesting when you create an image whether it's film or or um photography or paintings, like there's you do re experience what you experience. You know. Mm. So it's also it's a good teacher for me, but it's also like a little uncomfortable at the same time. And I kind of like that.
1: Well that's the best teachers. When things are uncomfortable, there's there's a lesson there and there's something beautiful that can emerge uh, within that. And I think it's yeah. you know, you're talking about this painting and I realize, you know, like it's not just about, you know, that baby. You know, like this is really you mourning granny in a way because that's why you care so much about these pods. Like it, it's, you know, it's, it's her siblings, right? Like the people in the pod. So So it's like, would it be?
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just her, it's not just granny. Every pod has their own unique language and culture. They're, they're irreplaceable. So if this pod goes extinct, their culture, their language, her legacy, her family Everything that she passed on because the matriarchs are the carriers of wisdom will be lost. It's a totally unique culture. It's irreplaceable. So to me, it's not just the loss of Branny. It's the loss of Sonic and it's the loss of Cuitelica, her baby. And it's, you know, all of, and it's the potential loss of the entire pod. And yes, there will be other orcas, but this particular unique culture will be gone. And so it's all of those things together, right? Wow. Um, and yes, it definitely is grieving her, but it's also almost pre-grieving and that I will do everything I can to prevent that from happening. But there wow. is a fear and awareness, especially as orcas continue to die, that this may be the reality.
1: So it's like anticipatory griefs also in there. Wow. And you're right. Like I've never, I mean, the way you were talking about, you know, their grief journey and processing it through paint and through you want to talk about it and people not acknowledging it probably for the fear of making you upset that's why people most uh, avoid grief right um but i think it's yeah. it's interesting because i've never you know when my dad died i wasn't grieving the rates of humans you know like and so you're that's such a different level of grief that I, I i have no idea about but you're going through that right now and how do you keep your heart open because that's you know like i know we're gonna get to dreams but i'm like how do you keep your your heart open
2: well, I'm fortunate in that I have all of this wonderful training in, you know, counseling and psychology and uh, meditation and breathing. And sometimes it is as simple as uh, doing, you know, wiggling my toes, you know, and breathing and feeling where the pain is and just knowing, like, you know, performing a little Gestalt or Reiki on myself and like, you know, dealing with those feelings or at least being honor honoring them, and acknowledging them. Um, Doing something helps. There are so many. I honestly, the state of the world today can be terrifying. I mean, I don't want to talk about Trump, but just that whole situation, what's happening there is really hard for me. I, I'm, I am engaged to marry a Jewish man. You know, that whole experience is just a whole and the racism and all of it just blows my mind. And that that exists here in Canada as well. There's There's so many levels of the world right now where it would be very easy for me to just wash my hands of all of it. And yet, I also regularly talk to people one-on-one and go to places where I see people who are doing amazing work. And also, I have these amazing cats who know when I'm sad and will come and sit on me, uh, who love me. I have a wonderful partner in my life who's incredibly supportive and we're able to talk about this stuff together um i go to counseling that really helps and i i try to allow myself to see the good and if that means i have to i have you know i have to get out of my head but i have to like do things like just get silly with my cats or go for a walk in nature or go out on the water to remind myself of why I'm doing this and talk to people who will give me good news that I do that. I think there's a lot of, as heartbreaking as things can be, there's a lot of good in the world. Uh, Even when it's hard to see it, I know that. And I try to stay focused on that.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And man, I that really, um, that really speaks to me as well and again i think that you know you seeking out for that ancient wisdom that type of learning that you get from animals that you get from witnessing this type of beautiful creature live and die and gracefully show you what what grief is about i think that'll help supersede all the kind of general i guess media garbage that we all kind of see on a daily basis right
2: well it- it makes things very real. You know, the, the whole situation is not isolated. What happens with them is going to affect us and the oceans and the air we breathe. I mean, there's so many, I, I'm not going to dive down that rabbit hole, but there are so many ways in which we're interrelated in which their fate is connected to ours. So uh, what I will say is one thing I get asked a lot is, what can people do? What can I do? What is the cause, the thing? And I will say, listen, there are a lot of amazing people doing great things. And so pick something you can do that you're good at and pick a cause you care about and do that because that's the best thing you can do. It's not about one specific thing. It's about doing what you can do. And so I feel like because I'm doing what I can do, um and I mean this gets into the dream of that teleclaw as well. Like, um there is an element of feeling like I'm carrying the grief and then in that way I'm helping in that that process for for them in in like that by carrying the grief and by feeling those feelings i'm being a witness to their journey and someone is witnessing what's going on and someone is feeling that i know i'm not the only one but just being able to play that role
1: yeah so uh, you did mention the dream so have you telequa have you had a dream of granny
2: no i have not had a dream of granny I would like to mm. <laughs> but um but no but I had a dream about Tahlequah uh, two days after my vision quest and I had started the painting and it was pretty astonishing should I talk about it
1: of course that's why it's, that's why we're called the grief <laughs> dreams podcast
2: <laughs> okay well it was it wasn't a long dream but it was quite intense and it's quite a funny um it took me I had to really think about what it meant Um, before I really understood it essentially the part of the dream I I was out in the water with a group of other people in a scuba suit and we were under I was under the water and Talika swam above all of us I was at the end of a line of people at the back and she swam over and everybody reached up their hands to touch her but when I reached my hand out she dropped something into my hand i i didn't get to touch her i got this it was almost like a like in a dream i didn't know what it was and i sort of freaked out i was like what is that everybody was like what was that and it felt awful like as soon as i touched it it was just like pain right and it was kind of like a red big red seed like it was it was a very strange you know And it felt alive, but it also felt like a tremendous amount of pain. I talked it over with a friend afterwards. And I realized that, which what I had taken was, it felt like what I had taken was a piece of her grief, right? Of her sadness. And carried it for her. This was right in the middle of the vigil. She was about 10 days in. Because it was so intense. And my reaction, normally when given something, from a supernatural being, is to say thank you. But in that experience, I really wanted to drop it. I didn't want to hold it, it hurt so much. And uh, and then, of course, on hindsight, I realized, of course, it was a piece of the pain that I was carrying. And uh, I was able to talk about the dream when I was at the vigil for Telequa. They asked me to speak, and so I had a chance to talk about that and how it was okay to feel grief, actually, and pain. That, uh, in fact with what's going on in the world it's actually I think probably normal to feel pain and to feel grief not all the time certainly at times and to feel angry that those are actually good things to feel because it means you're still alive and you still care um it's kind of the flip side of of being empathic or about you know having a conscience that you feel these things as well and maybe feel them very deeply um but that dream for me, was really powerful because it was like I'd been entrusted with a, like I was able, if I was able to hold a piece of that story or a piece of that pain uh, for myself metaphorically, it really helped me feel like I was holding space for her as she was going through her vigil, as she was doing that, that work and carrying the, you know, I mean, and it was really hard to watch, but to feel like I could at least hold space for her and again, be a witness. And be present and help in that way that was something I wanted to do just like we would do for a human right if they're they're suffering they're going through grieving for people to be around and to hold space for them and to bear witness their pain like to be there so a really old shamanic idea this idea of bearing witness
1: yeah we uh, talked about Megan Devine about you know sitting with someone and keeping your heart open and that's what you're doing with with this and I think too reflects you know, like as you go through your pain, then your cats kind of take on your grief a little bit, you know, and try to help you out. And so everyone's trying to help each other hold on to this this suffering.
2: Yeah, and they, yeah. And it's funny with the cats because we have one that's a bit, the older one is a bit skittish because she was a barn cat, so she loves me, but she has a tendency to run away from people. But when I do healing work, like if I'm doing a Reiki session, She's on the person, purring. Like, I will help, I will help. Like, she's got, she's very empathic, right, in that way. Um, whereas the Baby's much more like, she likes, she's super cuddly, but she wants to talk about, like, she wants to play and explore and create and do things. And so it's interesting how they both have, like, different roles in my life. You kind of have, like, the emotional intelligence and the kind of creative intelligence, like the imp. And it's, it's interesting how different they are in their personalities, you know, and how they both help in their own ways.
1: Have you had any more dreams of telekwala since that, or is that the only dream you've had of her?
2: No. And I don't remember my dreams. I'm sure I have them, but I, I've, I've had, as I said, I've had half a dozen dreams in my life that have been profoundly life changing or been a great inspiration. And this was one of those kinds of like dreams I haven't, it was possible I have dreams of her, but I have not remembered the dreams. This dream in particular, uh that moment of the dream is so profound. It was just like a larger than life experience. Wow.
1: That's interesting. So it meant it meant something to you. That's so interesting. Yeah, I wonder as yeah. you as you continue to move forward and raise awareness on the grief of the animals and, and of the culture of Orca. You know, like if you get another dream, like down the road, that's going to be really interesting. I'm just curious before, Rihanna, this is getting kind of long. Um, Before we wrap up, have you had a dream of any of your other pets that have passed away that were, were big dreams?
2: I, had not that have passed away, but when I had a dream, this is a, this one's a little, this one's interesting. I had a, I had a dog, a dog named Bob. Uh, who was a border collie, or, uh, sorry, um, a black lab, Roddy Cross. He was amazing. I loved him and a great deal. And, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I had a dream. I had to, I had to, I moved into a building. And after I had moved and been given permission to move in with him, I was told I couldn't have him. And at the time, I was very poor. I was in a really tough situation. I, couldn't afford to move. And I didn't know what else to do. And so I had to find him a really good home. And it was really heartbreaking. And I had a dream right after I gave him up that I would see him again. And just a couple of years ago, I did see him and I saw him in the exact spot where I had seen him in the dream. Oh, and it was wow. really astonishing to me. And that was like 10 years ago. So it was like a, mm-hmm. like it was a really, or longer, um, it was 15 years ago. Like he would have been, he was quite old when I saw him, but it was just like in the dream he had sat he had seen me and he was standing under this side and he said I will see you we'll see each other again right like <laughs> and I and then I saw him again God, and it was wild. uh I know just really amazing yeah
1: that's yeah, that's, I, that's I mean, so beautiful to to hear that and to like it seems right like that you know as much as you don't dream every like I dream almost every night uh or I can remember my dreams almost every night and so it's interesting when you do dream um there they're these really moving dreams that are kind of like especially that one with um seeing the dog again in the future is like this pre-cognitive kind of dream that you know i hear about all the time so it's it's very interesting how you're in touch with something you know um maybe a little bigger than yeah. than us it's almost like the orcas right like they're they seem to be in touch with a you know almost like a higher level of intelligence in a way
2: see i have this theory that we're all that the planet as a living being like we're all just like cells as part of the planet. My, my feeling on it is that the planet is a soul or like a life force, and that we're all just individual parts of it. But we don't see ourselves as being part of a much larger being. We see ourselves as just being these individuals that do things in the world. Um, and yet we aren't, we're like just a small part of a much bigger thing. And we're working with all of these other things, uh, other other parts to create a whole. And so I think it's possible my theory is that I'm connecting with that soul that larger part that is holds all the dreams. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Or all the, all the souls or spirits or all the connections. That's very interesting. It's like, well, I think people talk about um, how like we're all one. And and so it's like, it's under that sort of like us and like, and God are like all one. it's like that Mm -hmm. understanding how like there's that force and we're all connected within that force.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and then you talk about like something like in a big event, right? Like you talk about like nine eleven. There's a reason we all feel that. We feel big events across the globe. We feel, and there's a reason we feel like, you know, with like granny dying, we feel that whale passing, you know, when the news hits the, the mainstream media, it's because there's a part of us that's connected and, and then we grieve, you know, whether we're all in tune or not.
2: Well, and it's interesting because, Experiences like 9-11 are really engraved in the collective unconscious. I mean, if you look at the, like 9-11, and then I, I've studied the tarot and I'm quite passionate about it. Um, the tower card in the tarot is an image of a tower being hit by lightning with people falling from it. And it's really interesting because when you look at the footage and the images from 9-11, there's a real parallel. Uh, it's almost eerie how close the parallel can be with some of the cards that people have drawn, and th- that card has existed for hundreds of years. It's a very old image. Um, there's a lot of things like that. I think where it's like on some level, time and space. I don't know that it works the way we know it works.
0: Mm, um, are, because, there, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, there's. I was just gonna say there's collective events you know, like that, yeah. those grieving events, like, you know, like, you know, World War Two, you know, like we feel it. It doesn't matter if I was involved, my ancestors were involved or not. You know, there's a sense of like, you know, we feel the world pain and and the pain. And I, I'm wondering what animals go through. I'm wondering what animals grieve and if they, they tap into that collective.
2: That's a really, I was just wondering about that. as you said that because I was thinking that animals, like if you look at all the things that we do to animals and have done to animals in the past, but they still hang out with us. Mm. That's pretty amazing. And yet there must be a collective memory of some of these experiences. Um, you know, I think, I wonder like if an event, something like uh the Holocaust or not of these huge events that cause a tremendous amount of public trauma almost have like a, a blast radius past and future in some respect, like the pain sort of waves out like there's some sort of memory. And I don't really um, it's just something that I'm thinking about as we're talking about it because there definitely does seem to be that sense that we know things or have a sense of things before they happen. Um, or something will happen, and we can look back and see all the places in the past, in history, whether historically or in our own lives, where we've sort of sensed that that thing was coming.
1: That's interesting. It's really deep. <laughs> it's
0: really deep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know. You know. I, and Josh, like, man, we love talking about this stuff. Uh, we we can go on and on because it's it, it's it, we drive with it you know at the end of the day like that's mm. that's you know grief and death and something as traumatic and collective Have we, we've ignored it like i said before it's an ancient wisdom we've ignored the you know the animal griefs that have you know come upon us but now we're waking up and now i think that like we have to be aware of this and we have to be really open to the fact that it's not just us living in isolation it's us living in Connection with everything around us, animals, plants, everything around us. So, being open, being listening to these stories and listening to the grieving and being touched by it, that's important. That's important for us to learn something from this podcast today. And that is that, like, open up to the fact that animals and humans, we all grieve similarly. And there are certain traditions and certain things that, like, we can touch upon and actually learn from animals because they are the wisdom right now. And they are the wisdom that are teaching something that's not vocal, but it's an observation. And that's what I love about what you're doing. And also even in the dreams that you've spoke about, you know, those dreams Mm. that they're touching, but they're also like, there's, there's a beauty in it when you're painting pictures, there's, it's not you with the breaststrokes. It's something else.
2: Well, and to add to that, in terms of us waking up and realizing that we're, we're not alone here, it's I think especially at this particular time, this awakening that we're having around other animals is really critical because there's a lot of talk about what's happening with AI and this idea that AI is going to be um, waking up soon, essentially, and everything that we're doing right now and the ways in which we treat those creatures around us that we consider less intelligent I think that all really matters because we are teaching AI what our values are and how we should be treated. And thus, I think there's a little bit of a need for us to be self-reflective and how would we like to be treated? I mean, if you wanna go back to the biblical, treat everyone as you wish you were treated and don't you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Because I think in the near future, we're gonna be looking at a world where we aren't necessarily the top of the food chain and everything that we've done, we will experience. I think mean, that could be a hopeful thing because there's a lot of amazing people in the world who do wonderful things to each other. But it's also just a little bit of a warning.
1: You, know, you to be uh, aware. I was gonna say, uh, you really like to take these conversations and, <laughs> <laughs> Make them deep. Now we're talking about AI's <laughs> grief. Will they have it? Does humans want it? I'm like, man, that's actually a really interesting question. I got a convo. Yeah. <laughs> Get abstract. <laughs> <It gets laughs> Three-hour <silly>. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's very, it's a very intellectual question that you know I never thought of. You know, I've heard Elon Musk talk about AI and stuff, but I'm like, man, this is interesting. We might have to have a conversation, maybe at another time that really i think that i've never actually thought about it but i think it's a really cool conversation to have with you um at some point wow okay um (laughs) okay so because uh we're trying to keep these short i actually want to add sean too uh you uh you did mention like uh, sean you mentioned about just you know we need to open up i personally think that it's not about just opening up because what happens when you open up you're going to have to take in the pain if you're not ready to sit with the pain well then you're it's a lost cause so i think there's something about starting within yourself and sitting with your own pain and then you can start yeah. sitting with others pain Absolutely. and then everything can change right but if you're not good with pain sitting with your own suffering um you have a hard time sitting with what's going on in this world um and that's sort of you know just my take on that but anyways <laughs> moving forward yeah. um if you could have a dream tonight one dream of uh, someone that's passed, uh, maybe maybe Granny or 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 you know whoever you want. Um, Who do you want to have a dream with?
2: Well, uh, I have two answers. The first is absolutely Granny. I would love to dream of Granny. I've thought about that a lot. And the other is my grandmother. She so, so died Granny and Granny. So, <laughs> yeah, so
1: both and your grannies. She <laughs> was. I was
2: very close to her. So yes, um, Granny and Granny.
1: So what kind of dream would you want? Would you want them to be together in the dream or would you want those two dreams to be separate?
2: Either or both. I think it would probably, I, I can't, dreams world is interesting because anything can happen. So I would be, op- I would love to have that experience <laughs> where they both come, but I, I can't picture it. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother, with granny, I'd like to just be with her. With my grandmother, I I truly, she, because I was only 16 when she died, um, and she was like, a um, she's a really special person in my life. Um, I, I just would really love to see her again and, uh, and have a chance to share my life, but also just spend time with her. She was just a full of life and really joyous person. And, um, when she died, it was cancer, and it was quite sudden and quite severe, and uh, it was quite a painful experience, so I didn't, I wasn't able to go to her funeral, and so I had a whole untapped piece of pre around her for a long time, um, so yeah, I would like to see her and, and send my love to her. That would be pretty amazing.
1: Wow. You have so much loss in your life. That's, uh,
3: that's so sad. <laughs> we're we're going to go
2: there. <laughs> I know we did, but I've had a I've had a lot of I I. You know how they say tragedy is comedy plus time. My life is really funny now.
1: <laughs> Looking back,
2: yes, I just had a whole series of madcap adventures and some really difficult things to deal with. Um, but I feel fortunate that I. Have learned from those experiences, and uh, all the people—the people that I've lost in my life—have given me have some of, have given me some of the most amazing gifts, and you know I'm really grateful to them.
1: Wow, I like that, and I, and I think it shows. I think the wisdom you have, like the suffering, has brought great wisdom within your your being. And it's almost it's weird because I don't see you as a granny, but according to the grandmother hypothesis, you would be considered a granny.
2: <laughs> oh, interesting. Correct. <laughs> I, I don't think I've met anyone near being a granny yet.
1: Maybe you're an old soul, any... maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But uh, the way you're speaking, the way you're connected with animals, it's such a beautiful thing. It's it's something I don't see a lot of, but when I when I hear you speak, it's it's so beautiful. And I'm really happy that the listeners get to hear this conversation we had today.
2: Thank you so much. And thank you for the wonderful questions. I really, um, it's been really good to talk about this. I I mean, everything that we're working on is so important. It's really nice to take a different approach to having that conversation and to just, you know, get to talk to you guys and get to know you a bit better and talk about the experiences I've had um yeah it's really
0: yeah, yeah. well I, I find like i feel like we're fortunate individuals who've experienced the joy and pleasure of being around animals you know just mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually watching my dog sleep right now like it's, <laughs> it's beautiful he looks so great But <laughs> is he dreaming <laughs> <laughs> actually he, he was dreaming a, a bit earlier but um you know, he moves when he dreams but you know it's it's a real joy to be able to share a life and understand an animal and to like like again I, I can't really describe it and hey a lot of you listeners listening right now you feel the same way you know you feel the same way when you look at your beloved pet you know sleeping and, and enjoying their time with you and it's that bond that we got to remember with animals and i'm sure rain you've had that bond with you know granny and and all the beautiful whales the beautiful orcas you got to spend time with it's a life Uh you know you like it's it's beautiful that we get to actually be on a podcast and convey our our you know thoughts and feelings but to be honest we can't we can't even fully convey the emotion that comes with it it's impossible Mm. but there's love that's all you need to know you know everybody listening you know everybody included in this there's a real love there and I think that's the essence that's the essence of learning that's that's what it means to like watch an animal go through the process of dying and and grieving you know we're learning from that and that's real I respect it and I think I hope that all of us listen you know listening or people who will listen to this in the future that like you know spend some time with an animal spend some time in nature and really like try to tap into that because it's something if you haven't you're missing out you're missing out on that type of bond that you can develop that type of like tapping into what it means to be a human tapping into the universe is there it's it's in your reach and and it's in it's through an animal that's one way and i hope you can do that in the future.
2: Agreed. They're amazing teachers, you know? They can yeah, help us abs- connect in so many ways. And when you're feeling overwhelmed, when people feel overwhelmed with grief or like they can't handle everything, reaching out and asking for help is so important,
1: mm-hmm. you know? Well, I love That's- that. And I love how you're, you're raising awareness on that. And it's okay. And it's okay to, to try new things, to try to express your emotions and talking about it. I you know it's funny we had a couple of people people like uh, come on um, sometimes it's the first time really talking about it and they're talking about it to the world and they say how important that is for them in their journey and I think it, it's to continue even though people around you may not want to hear about it it's to find new people then to share the stories with um, and to you know because some people just aren't good with sitting with suffering so find someone who can and maybe it's an animal right like <laughs> they love hearing your stories
2: <laughs> absolutely. Well, well, for sure. I mean, I know when I teach meditation, there's a part, especially if people are carrying a lot of grief at the beginning, where they, it can be overwhelming to sit in stillness and just be with yourself because you just get, it all comes up and it can just be too much and it's hard to process it. And so, you know, I just want to say if you're processing and going through it, it's great to talk it out or to be gentle with yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed, you know. And if you can find a guide, even if, like something like this where you get to talk with other people about the experience, it can really help. Um, I don't think anybody should have to be alone with their grief or their yeah. sadness or their anger. The experience of sharing that is really profound. And it transforms it a little bit, even just in that experience.
1: That's true. It's uh, you're just taking like small steps. Like you're not going to get rid of it. And it's just processing it. And it takes time and is it giving yourself
2: that time yeah no absolutely i was gonna say a lot of people will try to bypass it and go right try to avoid it or you know shopping or food or drugs or smoking or whatever it is they can do to like avoid not having to feel those things and just stay away from them playing games on their phone like whatever keeps them busy but it's so important to allow the process to happen Mm. even though it sucks <laughs> it doesn't go away until you deal with it. Yeah.
1: That's so true. It's so true. So, like amazing podcast. Loved it. Uh, love what you're doing. Love who you are. It's amazing. Where can people find you and what you're doing?
2: Well, there's the Scana podcast, which is S K A A N A. We're on iTunes and Google. So, if you want to find out it, if work, it's an ocean. We interview some amazing guests, including like David Suzuki and Elizabeth May, leader of the Canadian Green Party. We also have... I Hold on, hold on, have they,
1: hold on, have <laughs> have you been interviewed yes. yet on the podcast? Because you have an amazing
2: grief I, story. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I did. Um, I have not been a guest on the podcast. Mark is on. my amazing host. <laughs> Get him to, to ask you some it, questions. It. I got
1: to I, I vote for that. If you do that, I'll support your Patreon.
2: (laughs) Oh, that would be amazing. Yes, that's the other thing. I have a Patreon account. I want to start. I want to do a series of short films about the tarot, where every instead of doing a tarot card, like designing one, I want to create a short film that conveys the messages. I think we get a lot of these Oracle projects or cards or decks, and they have these very stylized images that were kind of... We already know them and so they may not necessarily speak to us i'd like to create an interactive experience using film for people who are looking for ways of exploring questions that they have about what they should do with their lives or who they are Um, and film can be a really powerful kind of experience so i'm uh it's bookoftarot.com is the patreon account i would love support there and then also my website is tavrain.photos so T A V R A Y N Y N E dot photos, and uh, you can see some of my artwork there. And uh, when I'm teaching classes, I'll be posting information about them there.
1: Do you uh, do you post on uh, Instagram and stuff? Also on Twitter?
2: I have an Instagram account. I'm really far behind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am I am on Twitter uh, at Open to ohm and I'm on Facebook. Um, I've got. A, because I produce and because I have a lot of things, I have a lot of different pages. But um, you can find me as you can find me on Facebook, at uh, Tavern Creative, and I'll give you guys the links. So you've got them. But yes, I'm on all the good social media things.
0: I just want to say before Josh wraps up, um, Rain, thank you so much. Thank you for, you know, having the courage to come on this podcast and share your story and share the knowledge and wisdom that we really need to rehear we, we really need to like re talk about this more often and really uh have these conversations about you know our animal friends that we share this world with and at the end of the day like you know if you want to go ahead and live your life in isolation and you know try to progress that way that that's all good and dandy but that's not going to benefit you it's not going to benefit the world around you you know we all have, we all live together we all live in, in cohesion and that's the best way to progress is telling stories about all of us including animals including the world around us and um thank you so much for doing that today
2: thank you so much for having me on
1: yeah, and
0: don't forget to yeah, check thanks. out also
1: the award-winning documentary that she shot the hundred-year-old whale which can be found on Vimo. Uh, com. So check that out. It's great. It's short, 15 minutes, but it'll give you, a, a, I think, a, a bigger per- perspective on what we're talking about and the bond that she had with Granny. So to wrap... Well, oh, yeah, go on.
2: Oh, I just wanted to say, sorry, uh, Sales of 100-Year-Old Will actually support our next documentary, mm-hmm. um, which is a long documentary about Moby Doll. So it, it's all helpful if, if you can support the film. That's really great.
1: Amazing. That's amazing. And you, once again, you have your own personal Patreon, but also um, I think Mark has a Patreon account also for the whale to, to get the Mm -hmm. film started also. Yeah. So just, you know, there's ways to help people. And, you know, like these two people, Mark and and Rain are very beautiful people in the, in the field of orcas and what they're trying to do and raise awareness. So please support them uh, on their journey. So to wrap up with our stuff, you feel free to check out griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic uh, you'll be. You can see some of the research I'm doing at Brock there, and a bunch bunch of common questions people have asked me over and over again. So you can go to that page so um, to learn a little bit more. Also, if you have the uh, Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group if you want to share your dreams or just comment on others. That's the space to do it, and it's such a supportive group. It's amazing to actually see personally, and also Instagram and Twitter uh, at Grief Dreams. Uh, I'm more, uh, or we're more um, Instagram. Uh, That's what we try to do daily. Twitter is not so much. Anyways, (laughs) moving on to, we also have uh, Dream of Owl, a children's book that's out, um, just came out recently. Feel free to check it out. Uh, I co-wrote that. And basically it's about, you know, um, dreams, uh, grief dreams specifically. So as we uh, like to say at the end of our podcast, with love and gratitude from us to you.